0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies.
2: What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals Podcast. The opening week of the NFL on the Locked On Podcast Network is brought to you by Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics. Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Promo code LOCKEDON ON gets you 20% off at MackWeldon.com. Today's show is special. It's the first Wednesday of the regular season, and that means it's our first crossover episode of the regular season. My co-host Joe Goodberry joins Locked On Seahawks host Corbin Smith to talk about the game coming up on Sunday. Before that, though, we'll get into our lead story, and this time it'll be just me. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google, or whatever your app of choice is, as it's the best way to find us on a daily basis for all your latest Bengals news and analysis. Now you're locked on Bengals lead story. I'm Jake Lisco. The top story in Bengaldom today is that the Bengals announced an extension for running back Giovanni Bernard. First reported by Tom Pellicero of the NFL Network and NFL.com, the Bengals signed Bernard to a two-year $10.3 million extension. That includes a raise to $5.9 million this year, and $11 million over the next two years. He's also guaranteed a $600,000 signing bonus in March. And his new average salary of $5.5 million per year makes Gio the 10th highest paid running back in the National Football League. Last season, he averaged only 7.6 touches per game, as pointed out by Adam Levitan. And you have to imagine that Zach Taylor has plans for this to change. Bernard figures to at least be the Bengals' third down running back, and that's the role he played in the few series he played this preseason. Pro Football Focus has had Giovanni Bernard as an above-average starter, but he's by no means a top-ten running back in the NFL. Still, you expect that his involvement, especially in the passing game, will increase this year as the Bengals have shown a proclivity to split their running backs out wide. Gio of course has played in the slot and he's been split out wide in the past and he's made quite a few memorable plays in the open field as a receiver coming out of the backfield. Gio is probably the best pass protecting back on the Bengals roster and that's why he figures to get a shot on third downs unless Joe Mixon refines that part of his game. I think we all still expect that Joe Mixon will be the bell cow as much as there is a bell cow in the Cincinnati offense. But paying Giovanni Bernard and keeping him around for the next two years suggests that there is a plan in place to make sure he gets enough touches to keep Joe Mixon fresh. And we've mentioned this on the podcast before, Zach Taylor watched Todd Gurley wear down in Los Angeles last year until he succumbed to the knee injury that kept him out for much of the playoffs. It also goes without saying that Gio is an excellent human being. He's been great in the Cincinnati community. He's been great in giving and generous with fans, often showing up to events early and staying late to sign autographs and interact. This is the kind of player you feel good about paying, but it does make you wonder, how does this affect the Joe Mixon holdout that's looming over the Bengals' heads, the way he's reacted on social media to Melvin Ingram and Ezekiel Elliott this offseason? And really, at this point, we expect Joe Mixon might hold out next year. The only way they're going to invest that kind of money in the running back position might be if they invest in a rookie quarterback. That would shed millions of dollars from the payroll and that they would move on from Andy Dalton for that rookie quarterback's contract. And that would make the idea of extending Mixon tenable. So there could be a domino effect here. We'll have to see how that plays out next offseason. Of course, we're also waiting for the details on the guarantees on Bernard's contract and it's very possible that the Bengals will have an out. We'll just have to wait and find out. Some other Bengals news today. Josh Malone and Hardy Nickerson were reported to have cleared waivers and we all expected one of them to sign back on the Bengals practice squad. They decided to go with Hardy Nickerson. Instead of the wide receiver with some upside, they chose the linebacker with some knowledge and veteran savvy at this point who has been around the Bengals for a while and is known to be at least cerebrally there, even if he's athletically a little bit lacking. This gives the Bengals two linebackers on the practice squad a little bit more depth there if they need it, and they'll be going into Seattle with just four linebackers against a team that is expected to run the ball a lot. The Bengals did try out seven free agents today, all of whom were linebackers or offensive linemen, but at the time of recording, None of them signed with the Bengals, and the roster is as it was after they re-signed John Jerry and designated O'Shea Dugas for the injured reserve. The Bengals also announced their jersey schedule for the entire year, so for those of you that relished in jersey watch, I guess there's no suspense for you this year. To the chagrin of many Bengals fans, the Bengals will only be suiting up in orange once, and that's week 5 when they host Arizona in Cincinnati one week after they wear their all-white color rush jerseys against Pittsburgh. They're also wearing the color rush all-whites in London when they go to play the Los Angeles Rams in Week 8. Tomorrow's practice marks a big landmark where all eyes on this podcast will be on Cordy Glenn as we'll get an idea as to whether or not he will be ready to face Jadavion Clowney and the Seattle Seahawks this weekend. We will get our first practice report of the regular season tomorrow afternoon. This has been your Cincinnati Bengals lead story from Jake Lisko of Lockdown Bengals. It's time to celebrate football is finally back. And DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football has huge week one contests. The first one starts this Thursday night when Chicago and Green Bay kick off the season in a single-game showdown with $2.5 million in total prizes up for grabs. Draft your single-game showdown lineup and feel the sweat like never before. It's simple. You draft just six players from the season opener, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Plus, new users who sign up today on DraftKings using code LOCKEDON will receive a free shot at the $1 million top prize. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching a game quite like having a shot at a million-dollar payday. Get in on the season opener action. Download the DraftKings app now and use code LOCKEDON. For a limited time, both new and existing users can get a deposit bonus up to $500. And new users, don't miss this extra special week one bonus. Enter my code LOCKEDON to get a free shot at $1 million with your first deposit. That's code LOCKEDON only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25 times playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com
0: for details. Hey, what's happening? It's your boy Q, host of the Lockdown Raiders podcast. And I hope you guys feasted on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250. It was basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what are you doing? All the way up to a thousand bucks. The terms are simple. You put in two hundred dollars, they'll match you with another hundred dollars in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at My Bookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it.
2: Welcome to the first regular season installment
3: of Crossover Wednesday here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Corbin Smith from Locked On Seahawks, and I'll be joining forces with Joe Goodberry of Locked On Bengals as we break down this Sunday's upcoming Week 1 matchup at CenturyLink Field. Glad to be working with you today, Joe.
1: I'm happy to be here. It's Crossover Wednesday. It should be fun.
3: Always a fun time looking at these games. A very unique take from both sides of the coin here. And obviously, the Bengals, this is a big road game for them to start the season. Brand new head coach, new offensive coordinator, just brand new staff. Everything's new in Cincinnati. But uh, it's been kind of a rough start here for Coach Zach Taylor in terms of injuries. They've got a bunch of them, especially on the offensive side of the football with AJ Green. And you'd have to think that's going to make it a little bit tougher here in this first game, the first couple games for that matter. They got a lot of tough. Uh, teams in the schedule coming up here for them to be able to get this offense rolling.
1: Yeah, and losing A.J. Green first day of camp, losing Jonah Williams the last day of OTAs, I mean, that's your first pick, that's your best player on offense, and this, the same thing everyone will say, right? If you talk to any Bengals fan or analyst, writer, they'll say if the Bengals can stay healthy, they'll be a good team, at least competitive in every game. And already we are not healthy or the Bengals are not healthy. It's just so quickly it snowballs. And we hope this was something that was a Marvin Lewis trend because the Bengals haven't been healthy for the last few years, but then it's carried over into Zach Taylor. And I know that what does the head coach really have to control over that, but it's just the string of bad luck continues for them.
3: I'm really interested to see how this game plays out here because Taylor's coming from the Rams and we know the Rams the last couple of years, their offense has been dynamic now. There's a talent drop-off here going to Cincinnati, and maybe Andy Dalton's going to be able to take uh, take over this offense, really figure things out. They've got some intriguing young receivers. When you look at this offense going into Week One and beyond, what are you expecting to see from this group? Obviously, a much different offense than they've had when Marvin Lewis was head coach.
1: I do expect it to be a Rams-style offense. When Zach Taylor was hired, he said basically it'd be crazy if he wasn't going to install a, a Rams offense because that's why he was hired, right? So what we've seen so far is snippets of it, pieces of it, you know, like the the wide and mid-zone running and then the, the jet sweep action and misdirection and play action. It's in there but only in pieces. And you can see during the preseason they wanted to keep it really vanilla they would send the guy in motion as if they were going to fake the jet sweep and not snap the ball at the right time, let him get set on the other side, then snap it and run the same play I could see on a Rams uh, offense when I watched tape. So I go, are they deliberately trying to make it look dysfunctional or is it still in pieces trying to get put together? So I don't know where they are right there. I hope week one they come out and it's like, okay, we know what we're doing. Our offense looks good. We've been installing this. We're confident. We, We feel we can run it because I do think they have talent outside of the offensive line, although A.J. Green's not there. Tyler Boyd is a good receiver, emerged last year as a 1,000-yard receiver. John Ross, although he's been a disappointment, he had seven touchdowns last year. He's still super fast and still can beat you on any play. Tyler Eifert, when he's out on the field, and he will be week one, has changed the way Andy Dalton plays whenever he's out there. Dalton looks like a Pro Bowl quarterback whenever he has Tyler Eifert at, at tight end. So, that's not even talking about Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard, and I expect the Bengals to run it a lot, and I think Mixon could look a lot like Todd Gurley in that type of offense. So I do think this is a Ram-style offense. I'm just hoping, from what we've seen so far, that they were holding back during preseason.
3: It's always tough, especially for new coaches in the preseason. They really do hold things back, so I I would hedge bets that they've really got a lot more installed. They just haven't been throwing it out there, and I can tell you from facing the Rams twice a year since Sean McVay has been there that the Seahawks defense, even a couple years ago when they still had Richard Sherman and some of those guys around, they had trouble slowing down this Rams offense. And mainly because the motion and the fact that they were running a lot of their plays out of the same sets and it made it yeah. uh, that they were disguising stuff. And the Seahawks had a lot of trouble with that last year. The main thing is you know you have guys running wide open on crossers across the field, guys coming in motion would come wide open, and it just created all kinds of issues for the defense. And you don't normally see that from a Pete Carroll coach defense. They're usually pretty darn good at t- at managing their responsibilities, and the Rams have been able to make them look dysfunctional at times. So if the Bengals are able to find a way to get some of that, they don't have to be as good as that Rams offense is. There are obviously a lot of pieces missing, but if they're able to get that offense incorporated the way that the Rams have ran, I think the Seahawks are, may have a little more challenges this week than maybe people are anticipating just because of how well that offensive structure works.
1: Yeah, the only thing really is that Andy Dalton has had 16 games without A.J. Green, basically. There's been a couple games where Green has mm-hmm. left on his first target. So 16 games in the past eight years. And you look at that record, uh, Andy Dalton and the Bengals are 5-10-1. And Andy Dalton's completed 60.1% of his passes, uh, 6.7 yards per attempt, just 16 touchdowns to 13 interceptions, with a passer rating of 79.8, all well below his career averages. He is not the same guy when he doesn't have A.J. Green out there, and the Bengals aren't going to have Green for a month. Now, they've had a month and and some change to build this offense without A.J. Green. So maybe that's the first test for Zach Taylor is, okay, you don't have that number one receiver that's going to tilt the defense, right? Make them maybe shade that safety over there a little bit and and open up and and define the coverage pre-snap. But you've had a month to prepare. Can you get this offense to move without him with, Really right now, two maybe bad tackles. Cordy Glenn, their spo- supposed left tackle replacing Jonah Williams, is in the concussion protocol as we speak today. That could be Andre Smith at left tackle, Bobby Hart at right tackle. It looks Ziggy Ariza
3: and Jadevian
1: Clowney right exactly. now are licking their lips. Yeah, how do you think, you know, as I'm looking at it at first, I'm like, you know, a week ago, maybe Seattle's edge rushers aren't that great, not to what they've been in the past, right? And then all of a sudden they pull the trigger for Jadevian Clowney.
3: I'm really curious. I want to see what it looks like if he's going against a backup tackle because obviously he has not been – at Houston's camp he was holding out you know he looks like he's in phenomenal shape but football conditioning is different than running and lifting conditioning and he admitted that today I've got a week here to get ready for the game but he's planning to play they're hoping to have Ziggy Ons as well no both those guys are big powerful guys that can rush the passer with speed as well as power and so if the Bengals are playing two tackles that are backups that is not a good recipe against this football team and like you said A few days ago and maybe we can get by there because the Seahawks uh, their pass rush has been considered the Achilles heel going into this season after letting go of Frank Clark but now you've got those two guys that are capable of getting double digit sacks as long as they're healthy and they're both on the edge ready to get after the quarterback so Andy Dalton it could be a tough game for him I think that's going to really be the difference maker if the Seahawks are able to get something from both those guys I think they're both going to be on pitch counts in this game but if they are able to get out there and show that they are within the, you know, they're ready to play in this defensive scheme, that they've had a quick turnaround here, especially for Clowney coming in. If those guys come and give them some decent snaps against reserve tackles, get after Dalton, that's going to make life really tough for Cincinnati offensively, especially with the crowd noise. So, Corbin, let me ask you then. Uh, most Bengals fans, when they think Seattle
1: and Seahawks defense, you know, we're still visioning that, that team from the last 10 years. Is that the same style of defense? Are they still like a cover three zone? or they compress their corners? I mean, what? how do you describe this defense now that they really don't have a lot of the same guys on that back end? So I'm expecting,
3: you based on what I've seen at practices as well as in the preseason games, again, you can't put too much stock with what you see visually in preseason games. Clowney may impact this too, but... I'm expecting to see more two-deep safety coverages than what we have seen in the past when the Legion of Boom is here, especially because Earl Thomas isn't back there manning center field. No offense to Tedrick Thompson back there, but he doesn't have near the range. So I really think when it's all said and done, if they can get him healthy, he's had injury issues. I think Marquise Blair is going to be starting with Bradley McDougald later down the road. And that's going to give him two guys that can play both safety spots. gives him a lot more flexibility. But I'm anticipating you're going to see more of those two deep coverages. Maybe we'll see that this week against the Bengals in this game. And I also think, based on the preseason, this also may get cut back now that Clowney's in, in the fold. But they've been blitzing a lot more than what they have done in the past. Normally, Pete Carroll's defenses are among the league leaders in not blitzing. They're near the bottom. This preseason, they've been bringing a lot of pressure. So I do think there are some schematic changes that are being put into place because they don't have the players that they've had in the past. It's a different team. The front seven's the strength here, not the secondary.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. The Bengals feel good about their defensive line. But I'm looking over the Seahawks' depth chart right now, and you guys have uh, basically your backups would all start for the Bengals right now. you got to feel really good about linebacker. Can you trade us one after this week? I
3: don't know if we need to trade you one. Austin Kalitro got cut. I-, I can tell you this from watching the film and looking at him last year. I think as a coverage linebacker, still a little bit of a liability, but Austin Kalitro was a really good run-defending linebacker. He has made strides in coverage, and And like Pete Carroll said today, it was just a numbers game. So wouldn't that be fascinating to add to this game if Austin Calitro gets picked up by the Bengals, who only have four linebackers, at least based on what I was looking at, only have four linebackers on the roster against a run-heavy Seahawks offense. Uh, I'm really curious to see how that plays out. We're actually going to talk about that here in the third quarter. We're going to switch gears and look at the Seahawks offense against the Bengals' D- We'll be right back. You're listening to Crossover Wednesday here on the Locked On Podcast Network.
2: If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. MyBookie offers a variety of options depending on your style of betting. You can bet on games after kickoff. If by the second half, it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can take the other side and recoup your cash. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, you can try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. No matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer that's promo code locked on. Visit mybookie.ag today to play so you win and get
4: paid. This is Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints. This podcast is brought to you by Carvana. In the age of online retailers, buying a car should be no different. And that's why Carvana invented a brand new way for you to buy a car.
3: Welcome back to the first regular season installment of crossover Wednesday here on the locked on podcast network. I'm Corbin Smith, host of locked on Seahawks with me. I've got Joe Goodbury, uh, the host of locked on Bengals breaking down Sunday's upcoming week one matchup between the Seahawks and the Bengals last quarter. We looked at the Bengals offense versus the Seahawks defense, and we kind of started to go back to uh, flipping here at the end of last quarter. And as we were talking about, Joe, the Bengals going into this game, this is something that stood out to me when I was looking over the Bengals roster. I thought four linebackers, that that's all that they have. And that kind of struck me as something to be a little alarmed of if I was a Bengals fan, because, you know, the Seahawks love to run the football. The only team that ran the ball more than 50 percent of the time last year, even with Russell Wilson, at quarterback, some would say that's a problem. You're not letting your quarterback throw enough, but It was very effective for them. They won 10 games, made it back to the playoffs. You know they're going to want to feed Chris Carson and Rashad Penny the football. And only having four linebackers on the roster, uh, that might be something that could be a a major problem going into this game.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a huge problem, to be honest. And I think there's many layers to this. Number one, they have one of the worst linebacker units in the league, but they kind of have have their set starters already. The only guy they added. Now, this defense was number 32 in the league for 10 12 weeks last year and then they fired tara Austin, promoted promoted right marvin lewis <laughs> took over the defensive coordinator duties but uh the defense got a little bit better and ended up being you know somewhere in the 20s but point being is the only guy they added really was jermaine pratt in the third round sure they signed bw Webb and Kerry Wynn from the giants following lou anarumo who is their defensive backs coach to be the Bengals coordinator but they made no additions to this terrible defense from last year they're hoping people stay healthy and just magically play better so we'll see how that works but looking at linebacker this unit is so bad I think sometimes and they did this with offensive line too, only kept eight on a bad unit you would think I guess there's some logic to well let's keep an extra guy or two in that position just in case they pan out because we could really use somebody the Bengals went the opposite of saying why are we going to keep a poor player just for depth when we like our defensive linemen they kept 11 defensive linemen and now, you're looking at this game, and there's and I would say, okay, they might keep an extra nose tackle active to defend against the run for the Seahawks, but here's the other layer for it to me. The Bengals are built to be a nickel defense. If, this, if Seattle doesn't come out there and three wide receivers and instead two tight ends uh, and one back, the Bengals are going to be forced into their base defense. They're 4-3. I think it's a 4-3. They've been pretty coy with that saying it could it's something it's something we haven't seen it much because when they go against each other in practice Bengals are out there three wide receivers all the time so they're in their nickel d anyways what that does though their best pass rusher on their team is not Geno Atkins it's not Carlos Dunlap it's Carl Lawson but in the past he's only played in the nickel package and so far through preseason and what we've seen he's only been the, the edge rusher right edge rusher in their nickel defense If the the Seattle Seahawks don't allow the Bengals to get out there in
3: their nickel, they're going to take one of their best defensive players off the field. And this is all starting to make a little bit more sense to me because we talked about Calitro a little bit last quarter, and it was a surprising cut the Seahawks made today, a guy that had a really good preseason at linebacker for them. And unlike the Bengals, the Seahawks, I would say the deepest position they have right now is linebacker. So you figured one of those guys was going to be expendable. You can't, it's tough to keep seven linebackers on your roster, but They brought back fullback Nick Ballor, who was released on Saturday. And now I'm starting to think about it. Seattle's probably thinking we didn't show the fullback much in the preseason, but we're going to in this football game for the reasons that you mentioned. They are going to force the Bengals to play their their base defense with three linebackers on the field and maybe get Lawson off the field. And that's a big deal if they're able to do that. So I think there may be some strategy behind that, why the Seahawks waited till a couple days after cut-down day and then made this last-second move. Let's get the fullback back in here so we can get back to our bread and butter. We're going to run the football, and then we're going to do play-action – off that with two backs in the backfield we're gonna be able to stretch you out with your three linebackers on the field I I could see that and now I can understand why Belor's back on the roster even though I thought he had kind of an underwhelming preseason they gave him a I believe it was 600,000 guaranteed on his contract Mm. and so now they're bringing him back they haven't played the fullback as much the last couple years they did early in the Pete Carroll era but I could certainly see in this game now looking at the Bengals roster that that is certainly a way to attack this defense.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I was just looking at the, the Seattle's receiver situation right now. And so you're doubling up on what makes sense, right? They've really got Tyler Lockett and a bunch of When I'm looking at it from the outside. I know who Gary Jennings is, but, uh, you know, coming away from looking, I don't know, Malik Turner, who John Ursua is, how do you say his last name? I have no Ursua, idea. yeah. Ursua, great. My point being, from our perspective here at Cincinnati, it's Okay, so they are going to run it down our throats. That's, that's got to be the plan. It looks a lot like the re- Bengals receivers uh, right now because with Tyler Boyd and Tyler Lockett, you feel like you have a, a, a good guy out there. But really, Bengals are starting undrafted free agent as the other guy, Damian Willis, out of Troy. Uh, that doesn't sound great. But then John Ross hopefully can be your DK Metcalf as a comparable situation there. I'm just looking at it as in, yeah, I'm thinking the Seahawks are going to be out there and, and, a, and 12 personnel probably.
3: Yeah, I don't know what to think about this receiving core for the Seahawks right now because I I think there's a lot of talent there, especially, I mean, D.K. Metcalf has a ton of potential, but based on what Pete Carroll said today, it sounds like there's a pretty good chance he's going to be able to play in this game on Sunday. He's coming back from minor knee surgery. They're hoping to have him back, so you get him and Lockett on the outside. I do think if the Seahawks try to get a little too pass-happy in this game I look at the Bengals' secondary, and there are a few players I really like. So it's a little different situation than that linebacking group. I especially like Jesse Bates. I think yeah. he is poised to become one of the best safeties in football.
1: Yeah, we're hoping he's Earl Thomas. Now we know that's uh, not probably likely at all because Earl Thomas is one of the best of ge- all time. That's a
3: true generational talent.
1: Right. We, we are completely understanding that. But what, how he played as a rookie, whew, man, that range, that anticipation, the ball skills, it made it dangerous to throw in his direction. You could see offenses start to say, okay, shading a little bit to the left, we're not going there because it's just not worth it. And the Bengals were, for the first time in a long time, allowed to play with a true free safety back there and say, okay, we can bring Sean Williams down in the box where he should be. He's a big, thick, uh, thumping, strong safety. And if if they can bring him down and let Jesse Bates roam that center field, the defense is much better, and I think that's what we'll see is more of a, uh, a middle-field closed defense, a single high safety, and they'll say, we want to play man coverage with William Jackson, who they think is a number one type corner in this league, and then maybe shade Bates towards Drake Kirkpatrick, who
3: they like, but he has a propensity to hold and make dumb mistakes. He, yeah, so, he makes a lot of boneheaded penalties, yes. and that even going back to college, I remember scouting He's always that way. And, and, that's always been him. We say he's he's known for
1: being in great coverage and not affecting the play at all. There are so many times he'll see him. He'll be right on the guy. The ball will still be completed as he never sees the ball, never gets his hand on it or whatever the case may be. Um, so they need some help there, and that's why I think Bates slides over. And B.W. Webb right now is playing the nickel role as Darquez Denard, who's been that guy for the last few years, is on the pup list. So B.W. Webb's a the guy they brought in, but they may not need him this game if the Seahawks don't go out there three wide very often.
3: It'll be interesting to see how this plays out because last year the Seahawks ran a lot more uh, 13, uh, per, a lot more personnel with uh, three receivers and one running back than what they did in the past, which was interesting with Schottenheimer being the offensive coordinator that they were going to do that, uh, a lot more one back formations. And like I mentioned, maybe with bringing Ballore back, they're looking at this Bengals defense thinking, okay, our advantage is going to be the ground game. They're going to try to make the Bengals counter by bringing Williams up into the box. And even if Bates has tons of range, Maybe they can take advantage of that with the play-action game. So, uh, again, I think this game is going to come down to, and I think the talent discrepancy, I think you probably agree with me on this, I, I think the Seahawks are clearly the more talented team here. But yeah. here's, here's the thing that you have to remember. The Seahawks historically start slow. With Pete Carroll at the helm, and even at home, and they win most of their home games, but it's usually sluggish. I'm thinking a few years ago against the Dolphins, who were not very good, barely won that football game. They, they always start slow, so maybe this clowny trade is going to get everybody pumped up and they're going to come out ready to roll at, at home. But certainly that is something to consider. I, I'm just interested to see the run game for the Seahawks against the Bengals D, because to me. That is going to be what ultimately determines what happens this game. The Seahawks should have the advantage there. If they're not able to get that ground game going, I think the Bengals have enough talent in that secondary that it could be a little tougher day throwing the football, especially with the receiver situation. Oh, for sure. And I'm looking at
1: the depth chart, and I'm looking at the Seahawks' offensive line right now. And I just remember a few years ago how bad it was, right? How poor. It may have been the worst offensive line in the league it seemed It's definitely time.
3: not there anymore.
1: Right. And can you explain to Bengals fans then how they did – This transition, how did they acquire talent? What did they do to get it to at least a respectable level?
3: Well, the first thing they did is Tom Cable was no longer the offensive line coach. And for a long time, I defended Tom Cable because I, I always bought into the idea. He's one of the best line coaches out there, but he couldn't develop players and he kept trying to turn defensive linemen into offensive linemen. And it worked with J.R. Sweezy to an extent. But several other guys they tried to do that with epic failures. They were bringing guys like Luke Jokel in and like, we can resurrect your career. No, you can't. And so they kept putting lines out there. Like There's pictures on the internet still from the Packers game a few years ago where Russell Wilson's getting ready to throw the football and there's four Packers defenders in his face and all the linemen are turned around staring at Wilson. That was the Seahawks offensive line. But I think what really changed this, getting Cable out of town, but before that even, trading for Dwayne Brown. That has been a game changer for them, getting a true left tackle, a really good left tackle that can protect Russell Wilson's blindside. He's he's provided leadership for the other players. And really, he's the one that got him to Devian Clowney. When you think about it, he was a a driving force in getting Clowney to Seattle this weekend. So not only has he impacted them on the field in that way, he's gotten him another player from Houston. It's like, hey, I got out of there and look what's happened to me. Come join me. So I think that's been a big key for them. And, and you look at the rest of the line, DJ Fluker's been a great addition in free agency. He fits Mike Solari's system as a mauling guard. And and Jermaine Effetti made big strides last year after really struggling with Cable as his coach. Solari got a lot more out of him last year, and they think he's going to take another big step. So I think it's coaching and, and Dwayne Brown really have been the big difference makers there.
1: So if there's a weakness still on the O-line, where is it? Because the Bengals, if they're going to win this game or get close, it's going to be because of the strength of their defenses, the defensive line rotation, and, and the depth. I mean, Geno Atkins is an all-pro type defensive tackle. Carlos he can Dunlap, be a
3: game wrecker still, he absolutely.
1: Can be. He definitely could wreck a game. And Carlos Dunlap is a good, and if not underrated, around-the-league defensive end. And uh, I think with Sam Hubbard and Carl Austin, as much as they can mix those guys in there,
3: you, it could cause some trouble. So where would you say is the weak point for the Seahawks offensive line? I still think if you're looking at two week spots, I just talked about a making strides. He still has his moments. I don't think he's a great right tackle, he is pretty solid but especially uh, strangely enough as a run blocker sometimes he can have some issues in the preseason he had some games where he missed a few blocks and his pass protection is kind of hit and miss sometimes too so he may be somebody Cincinnati can take advantage of this game and also the left guard spot Ethan Posick has a really good chance to start this game instead of Mike Upati because Upati's been battling a calf and foot injury that have kept him out throughout the preseason and training camp he struggled to stay healthy over the years so those would be the two particular spots I think Justin brits a pretty solid center i think fluker is a monster as long as he's healthy at that right guard spot he's found a system that really fits him well and like i said dwayne brown in my opinion is a top five left tackle in this league second team all pro last year so i think the two spots they can take advantage of probably left guard and right tackle but like you said if if geno atkins can get matched up there with posick or if you potty plays he can still be a game wrecker they got some guys off the edge that can create problems so i look at this as a game where Aside from the middle of their defense, there's some pieces on the front and there's some pieces back in that secondary that Seattle's going to have to account for.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess my final question for the offensive side of the the Chiefs, the Seahawks, the Bengals have been continuously, If this has gone back maybe 15 years, man, I can probably before that, they get killed by the tight ends all the time. And maybe it's because their linebackers are always bad, right? But I'm looking at the tight ends, Nick Vanette, Will Disley. I would say they're blockers, wouldn't you agree? But is there a running back, or or, or how much are these uh, tight ends going to be mixed in? Uh, how do you think they use uh, these guys? Are they check down type guys? Are they going to get out like um, CJ ProSice and, and let them run some routes? How do you think they'll attack
3: other than Tyler Lockett? All offseason long, Joe, the Seahawks have been emphasizing throwing to the running backs. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily a great development based on the information that we have out there, but Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, and CJ Procise, you mentioned when healthy, all those guys have really good hands out of the backfield. You can motion them out to receiver, and they can make plays out there. So they've got flexibility there as far as the tight ends go. Will Disley, for being a big body blocking tight end, He had eight receptions, I believe, for 160-something yards the first four games last year before he tore his patellar tendon. So he actually stunned everybody with how good of a receiver he was downfield. Vanette, you know, he's a guy that can make some receptions, not really a big play threat necessarily, but that is probably the weak link position right now in their offense just because they only have two tight ends on the roster. I thought they were going to keep Jacob Hollister, who's more of a move tight end that can stretch the defense, has good hands. He's on the practice squad now instead. Maybe he gets promoted before we get to the game on Sunday, the way rosters change the first week of the season. You never know. But certainly that could be an area the Bengals could exploit too because they don't have much depth at that position. But I would look for the running backs to catch quite a few passes.
1: Yeah, running backs have killed the Bengals also. Will Disley, I'm glad you mentioned him because he's probably the reason the Bengals drafted Drew Sample from the same college in the second round, now their highest-drafted available rookie.
3: I'm really excited for this matchup, Joe. Obviously, week one, it doesn't matter who is on the other sideline. Just excited for regular football. No more preseason games. Had to restart the – because my 15 minutes were up. Okay. (laughs) I think this is going to be a much closer game than a lot of people are projecting. I, like I mentioned, I believe the Seahawks have a more talented team on both sides of the football. I think they have less holes, especially after trading for and Clowney. But it's week one, and I feel like there's always crazy things that happen that first game of the season. And the Bengals are going to be bringing some new looks. The Seahawks have seen that Rams style offense, but at the same time, Uh, They're going to have minimal film to work off of uh, with the Bengals running their new offense. So I think this is going to be a pretty close game.
1: Yeah, I do, too, in terms of the Bengals aren't expected to be a good team. But I do think the weapons there can make it dangerous really quickly. Like I said, Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon. Tyler Eifer is a dangerous tight end when he's healthy, and he is right now. Bernard can help, and I hope John Ross is ready to go and healthy. Did not practice or, or play all preseason, just started practicing last week. If he's healthy and ready to go, I think he can fill that Brandon Cooks role in a Ram-style offense and give another team trouble. So I do think there's enough talent on this offense to to keep it close, keep it interesting. And in the NFL, you keep it close, you got a chance to win
3: especially the first week of the season when both teams don't have tape from earlier weeks. Like I said, it's a crapshoot week one. You always see a few teams. You're like, wow, that team won this game. So even though it's at Seattle, they're, they're a really difficult team to beat at home. It's the first game of the season. The Pete Carroll coach Seahawks are always notoriously slow starters. So if you look at this game, what's your prediction real quick?
1: I said 31 to 21 earlier, so I'm going to stick with that. And that's a 10-point win, which is seven should be close. But I do think uh,
3: Seattle at home will make a difference. You and I are about in the same ballpark. I'm going to go 28-20 Seahawks. I think it's going to be a close game, maybe a little bit lower scoring than what you've got. But I think the difference maker is going to be the Seahawks are going to be able to get that ground game going at some point in this contest. I think they're going to take advantage of Cincinnati not having great linebacker play. I think that's going to come back and, and be an issue for them in this football game. And so that's the difference maker in a game that's much closer than many people are prognosticating. Joe? Greatly appreciate having you on this crossover Wednesday. It's been a blast. Thanks for having me, Corbin. Let's do it again. Absolutely. All right. Wrap it up there. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's I knew I knew once we got going there was like, "Oh god, we're almost to 15 minutes."
0: Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wild card exit of epic proportions? Did you think that